You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. This is Dante Healy from Business Breaks Podcast, and I am very delighted to interview my special guest, James Perry, who is a renowned speaker, lecturer, and coach. He assists those in accounting and finance from around the globe in creating the life they want, whether it's obtaining world-class professional qualifications to achieving dynamic personal and career development. Through coaching his clients, they achieve best-in-class 90% global success rate in their professional accounting and finance exams. He has guided professionals in their career from gaining promotions, landing their dream job, to starting their own businesses. And James himself holds a BSc in accounting with first-class honours, an MSc in advanced accounting, as well as a certificate in executive coaching. He is an associate fellow of the Higher Education Authority and a fellow of the Chartered Accountants of Ireland. He was also included in Northern Ireland's top 40 under 40 twice in 2018 and 2019. James also has extensive practical experience and has previously been an associate audit director with a top five global accounting firm, as well as a financial controller within the FMCG industry. So currently he is an associate lecturer at Ulster University and he contributes to world-class thought leadership. And may I dare say he's also an amazing guy. <laughs> so, that, 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 that last line is a lie. <laughs> oh come on james you're calling me out <laughs> yeah. yeah never mind so james thank you very much let me give our listeners some of your backstory so what made you decide to start your career as an accountant oh man what a question i thank you very much for having me Dante. why did i become an accountant because of two things probably in school number one i was very good at mathematics and number two, somebody said to me that accountants could make a lot of money. Now, both of those were a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really it. That was the a path that I went down. I then done A-level accounting, a degree and a master's in accounting, and then became a chartered accountant. So it was always my blood that way. Dante, I think the analytical part of me, I'd be strongly analytical, very logical, sort of left, left side of brain thinker. And I think naturally that's where I went into. Mm-hmm. I think that was accounting for me in a nutshell. But it actually morphed into something different, especially the people aspect of accounting, not just dealing with clients, but dealing with staff and seeing those people, seeing those people develop, my own staff develop. And then that's where it morphed into into coaching, where the job satisfaction truly lay, you know. Mm-hmm. But in terms of initial steps into the profession, it was always in my blood, always in my blood from the age of 15 or 16 years of age. Incredible. And yes, I have very similar experiences to you. I was good at maths and I was interested in making money. So I decided to try with a career in accounting. And yeah, it's diverged, but it certainly gives you a great grounding in business. Oh, it absolutely does. Like I spent the form, the formative years after the academia, the formative years were, was in audit with, with, with mm. Grant Thornton. I was there in total for nine years, but as an audit trainee for those first three, was fantastic grounding. Mm. You know, and I was quite lucky in a way. I got the best of both worlds where the, the practice had an accounts preparation department. So you, you were seconded in there for three to four months. That's where you learned your double entry. Mm. So you got the basics absolutely nailed. 
and then you're able to go on international comments or you're able to go and deal with some really good big clients and see see all that so absolutely and every week you know every week you're going on a different audit and you're meeting different people mm -hmm. and have to use your own you know people skills in a very different way there's some technical real difficult clients there's some really easy clients and there's lots of stuff in between wonderful and it's, it's very hard to match that experience you get the breadth and oh, yeah. as well as that depth in that technical expertise so how did you find yourself switching from finance into teaching Again, it was probably always there. So I always, whenever I look back on that, again, going, if, for example, you were a second year trainee, mm -hmm. you had to mentor the first years. Yeah. So it was always that pastoral role that I had. I always really enjoyed that. So that then was really coupled with Dante. I then took a secondment mm -hmm. to Grant Thornton's National Training Centre. I was there for three months. And that's where the training aspect came in. So not even lecturing or not even teaching, the sort of training piece. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed that. And occasionally then I was doing bits and pieces for local universities, just as an aside, but still working in the profession. Then it even it even came about better whenever I went into the industry, whenever I became financial controller. And there was different challenges there because of different members of staff doing different institutes. Mm -hmm. And again, they came to me. I don't know, maybe it's just my, I would suggest I may be an, I'm an empath as a personality type. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe where that came from. So it was more the pastoral care, the light bulb moment of you saying something to somebody and the light just ping, that gave me lots of satisfaction. So that was the transition. That's where the love of that came from, mm -hmm. where in my head I was going, whenever someone says, James, I couldn't have understood that without you. That gave me more of a buzz than signing off yet another set of accounts. Yeah. You know, so that, that's really where it came from, just the interactions with, with people. So if you wouldn't mind me putting it in another way, you start, you got into accounting because apart from your alignment, your skill set, you were in it for the money, but you found through teaching something you really enjoyed doing and helping others directly. And I suppose it matches my personality type in many ways. If you were to do that disc profile, yeah. Or whichever the profile is with the colors. And you most people, 90% of people are predominantly one particular color, which denotes whatever personality type that is. I'm two colors, whichever those two colors are, but it's the polar of it's the people, it's the people person and the analytical type. Mm. So I have both of those traits and just naturally fitted them to fit in as you know, to be the to be the accountant, but also look after others and, and other members of staff. Being able to switch between those two seemingly opposite traits must make you, it's a, it's a useful skill to have, I can imagine. Being able well, to switch uh, absolutely. Them. And even Dante with my own business, I could call myself the exam coach. Mm. It's actually really good that I just niche into my own marketplace, yeah. which is the accountancy market. And I can, you know, be with the people on their, their, their queries and their problems. Mm. But it's the analytical piece then that kicks in as well. So I can use both both of those elements in my own business, which is fortunate. Oh, very, very. And it gives you an ability to actually deliver something tangible for your students. Absolutely. Or clients. And yeah, I mean, getting an accounting qualification, I don't think that's ever going to go away. It proves your credibility. It's undeniable. Yeah, Plus absolutely. the qualification, the, the, at the rigor with which you're assessed in your accounting exams is second to none. I and, there's, and there's other elements that are that are tested as well. Yeah. You know, so your your resilience, 
Mm. Your bounce back ability, because there's going to be bumps in the road with, with the accountancy exams. Um, your determination, your project management, because it seems like every exam is like a small project. Yeah. yeah so there's loads and loads of different traits and skills that are tested, not just your technical ability. Absolutely. And that's all very transferable. Oh, hugely. Yeah. Hugely. Um, and I said to a lot of people, especially whenever they were saying, oh, I am sick, sick of this. I was like, that's going to be quite short-termism, you know, play the long game here. I actually see what's what's happening and how you're developing as a person. That's that reframe that actually that actually changes things, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. All it takes is a couple of perspective shifts Absolutely. to actually change performance levels. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt don't Thank you. So for you, what's the single lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Trust your own instincts. Mm. It's something I didn't do up until I was about 35 years of age. Trust that gut reaction. Your mind will try and trick you occasionally, and it's doing its job. The, the over-analysis, the over which a lot of people, a lot of your listeners would probably have, that trait, the perfectionism, you know, the overthinking, the over-analyst trait, the procrastinating on a decision because you have to think about a million different things. Sometimes that's a bluff. And the reason why that's a bluff is because your mind doesn't want you to get out of your comfort zone and doesn't want you to make hard decisions, whereas the gut is sometimes very rarely wrong. Yeah. So that's the one trait I that I listened to my gut much, much earlier in my life. And, but hey, having said that, I'm glad now that I've actually cottoned on to that now because many, many people go through life and they don't listen to themselves. They never take on their own advice, you know? Yeah, it's so easily not done. If you're not willing to risk anything, it's very hard to actually get out of that habit of yeah. probably seeking security, but you never know. It's all about really trusting your instincts. And sometimes they, you may misinterpret something as instinct. It might be emotion, but at the same time, there's that visceral gut reaction and you know something's right. And if you don't follow your instincts, you know you're going to regret it on some level. And sometimes that's an instant reaction. Yeah. Sometimes your instant reaction is right. Yeah. You know, and, and as I say, there's many decisions in my life I wish I listened to that instant reaction. But hey, we are where we are, where we are with that. And thankfully, I've learned it sooner rather than later, you know. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because I've, I've done the same. You've just, it's just brought back some unpleasant memories of what could have been. <laughs> oh, there's many, you know, that, that's that's personal life. That's that's career. There are many decisions that I should have listened to things sooner. But hey, that's the way it is. Yeah, I regret now. Um, yeah, you're yeah. in a good place. And you oh, know, I... You can use that experience oh, and take absolutely. it on. It's all about continuous growth. And I, I, advance all, I, I advise all my clients on that basis as well. Mm -hmm. Even in terms of, you know, whenever they qualify, whenever they ask me the question, right, James, I've got this world-class professional qualification. What do I do with it? And I ask them the question, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> They've never thought of that before. What do you actually want to do? You know, and then to, to, through that bit of career coaching and, uh, and that type of thing, try and work out what actually do you want to do long term because no it's not possible you know what i mean it's not possible to create something for yourself or but you have to feel it you have to really be wanting to do it yeah and that, that's the most important thing absolutely i guess internally you have to align everything up in order to progress with intention Aye. Yeah. and that's actually a really really key word is intention what's your intention people don't know that yeah. you know coming back full circle back to that that question of you know, when do you know that you wanted to coach or help people? Mm -hmm. The gut reaction was I probably always wanted to do that. 
that day, to be honest. Accountancy was maybe a thing that, you know, was suggested and that whole promise of the big job and the status and, and you know, the big payday and things like that. Great. But it's facilitated something better for me now. And I know I'm in the right space, you know, intuitively, you know, where, where I am with everything. Well, you're a, you're a true technical expert in accounting, I know that. And it's that piece of whether you may have the skills, but do you have the, shall we say, the underlying passion to be a pure accountant yeah, yeah. in a company? Or do you want to be doing more than that in the sense of, as you do, help people one-on-one to become better or enable absolutely, them? Absolutely. absolutely. But it's being honest with yourself as well. Yeah. A lot of people I know stick their head in the sand and they go, mm. but this is all okay. This, this is my lot. Yeah. But it doesn't, you know, funny, I was talking, there was, there was a lecture today that I, that I was giving and there was another, I, I brought a guest lecturer in. His whole thing today was fulfillment to the students. You know, mm. I was never taught that in uni. That, that sort of concept of what fulfills you, never mentioned, never really mentioned at all. Yeah. And that's where even at, at a university level now, it's really exciting. I think it's very exciting for the students because they're being given knowledge and, and awareness and whether they, they want to take it or not, yeah. they're given insights that I was never given. Yeah, it's always I mean, hard. You were never given either, you know? No, no, you figure it out for yourself. You read a few books, you test concepts and you get the feedback and then that's your experience because I'd say 70% of the learning is experience. And, Absolutely. you know, the finance piece, it just brings it all together when you do the formal learning. There's yeah. certainly a lot of value there. If you don't have that experience, it's a great foundation to at least have, what would I call it? It's almost like those crutches until yeah. you realize, you know, you've got the fundamentals down and then you can start experimenting with them, adapting them to the situation at hand. And that's when you evolve to mastery. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's very interesting. It's a very, very deep topic. Yeah. yeah. You can go into that in terms of fulfillment and and gut instinct and all that, but yet going right back to the question, that's what I wish I knew sooner, yes. <laughs> Understand, thank you, and that's a great answer. So in terms of your leadership skills, obviously you lead a lot of students, you've led audit teams. Uh, what are the critical soft skills that have helped you in your career? First one springs to mind resilience. Mm. Having that bounce back ability because, look, we're all going through life, and life is going to deal us a bad hand sometimes. Mm. And whether it be personal life or professional life, obviously things have happened to me that I didn't really want to happen. But it's basically, like I said, even clients is, you know, it's about how quickly you get back up on the horse. Mm. And you can have the pity party and you can wallow and you can do that, but only have it for a defined period of time, one day, two days, a weekend. But then go get back on the horse and restart again. Mm. That's one big thing that, that I suppose I've learned over the years with circumstances and with life. The other thing, the other other skill is asking questions. Mm. And I know, well, I, I one of the best pieces of advice that was ever given to me was in the very first week of being a trainee, trainee accountant. And I was from the office managing partner at the time and said, you will never get uh, get sued for asking a stupid question. Mm-hmm. And that's always stood to me. So if you do not know something, it is not a stupid question to ask. Mm-hmm. If you have to be told two or three times, then it becomes a stupid question. Mm-hmm. So those are the things. Becoming resilient, develop that resilience, that backbone, and then learn to ask questions. No matter how stupid you think it is, it probably is not a stupid question because somebody else is probably thinking it too. 
And that's true, especially if it's a new situation for you, you wouldn't know. And as you quite rightly say, if you're asking the same question multiple times, then really that's not a ignorance question because you're not familiar. That's an attitude question because you can't get it. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So those are the two aspects, yep. And then what is the most important skill to focus on when improving your communication? Oh, the first thing sprung to mind, but I don't want to say it because it's too, it's everywhere now on social media, is storytelling in terms of communication. Because mm-hmm. I think telling stories builds rapport very, very quickly. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say storytelling, no. What I will say is, I'm going to say something different in terms of communication. And I think over in Ireland here, we're actually really good at it. And that's the use of humour. Mm-hmm. So using humour to build trust with someone else. So we're very good at that here. It's going to be an eye-opener to people here when you go into business meetings. The first five, ten minutes of any business meeting in Ireland is really having a laugh or, or finding out who the person is or, as we say, we're here a bit of crack, you know, mm. and it builds that rapport. It, it eases the, any situation, especially if it's going to be an awkward conversation, and then you get the business. So that's one thing I want to maybe put out there to the people. How can you use humour in the right way, obviously, in the, in the right culture, or in the right spirit of whatever meetings you are in to soften the conversation to build trust. It's an art, definitely. Oh, definitely is an art. Oh, absolutely. I know my father was absolutely brilliant at it. I actually, I actually brought him on conversation today with with some of the students. We we're talking about body language, mm-hmm. things like that. And I go, my dad was a master at making someone comfortable. Yeah. So if you go into a room, generally what we would do is we will say hello and then smile at the person. My dad done it the opposite way around. He walked into a room and smiled at you and then said hello. So so small things, these be small items that makes the difference whenever it comes to communication. That, you know, that bit of rapport building, that bit of humor, that smile first. You know, we know all of it, though, let's do a good handshake and eye contact. But I think there's other small nuances to to communication, especially non-verbal communication. Um, I think those sorts of things are really important. Sorry to cut you in there, but it just is a brilliant answer because you can be very polished with your storytelling, very formal or even very, shall we say, very exciting, compelling, getting attention. But that doesn't necessarily always mean you form a connection with someone. And I think humor is a great way to get bonds with people. Sometimes, Dante, the more polished a performance is, the more robotic it seems. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if you've got a story and you've learned off the script, word for word, that comes across to me sometimes as robotic. You maybe see that in the political environment at the moment. Mm. Just this robotic, generic stuff that's being spoken about. Same in, same in business. Mm. If you're dealing with a client, if you're dealing with a customer, if you're dealing with staff, if you're dealing with another department, think about how can you build that trust quickly. Yeah. But especially even, you know, the whole term, the whole world of business partnering, it always seems like it's always us, the us and them in an organization. But you work for the same organization. Yeah. Why is there us and them? So how can you build rapport, you know, among departments quite quickly for the benefit of everybody? Exactly. Well, you know, people tend to scramble around positioning, fighting for status. And it's not about that. It's about helping others mm-hmm. and working together. True collaboration is a meeting of equals. I think business is changing from that roof. And even in the, even in the world of the, you know, an accountancy firm, the profession, yeah. you know, practice, 
which I always deemed very, very cutthroat. Yeah. I think, okay, it's very slow, but it's deemed, I think it's softening slightly in that. Whereas you're right, you know, how do you add value to other people? You have to collaborate, you have to help others. Asking for help, for example, is a huge sign of strength, in my opinion. Whereas the old thing was, oh, you know, you don't ask questions because it's a sign of weakness. That's absolute garbage, yeah. in my opinion. You know, so I remember partners used to ring, I was quite well known for being a very good technical auditor and accountant and the partners used to ring me all the time what about this what about that what about ifrs whatever that was fine that was a pretty decent sign of strength you know saying the good old saying and i remember one partner in particular used to say this grant thornton i don't know the answer but i know someone else who does yeah brilliant but that's that trust that's that getting the right people around you mm-hmm. in order to move forward so that's a very long-winded answer there for communication skills that's crucial because um it seems like all success is about networking and networking in the proper way, not a manipulative, this guy's senior, so I'm going to kiss up to them in order yeah. to get sponsorship, not mentorship, but sponsorship. I want to position myself so someone will pull me up by their coattails. It's not about that these days. It's about no, it's getting a broad enough network so you can achieve things. And that's where your career will work. And getting that network of people yeah. who you've got stuff in common with. Yeah. I remember whenever, again, whenever I was in the currency practice, you know, you had so many networking meetings to go to per month and all these targets and all this. And I was going into rooms with people that I had zero in common with. Now, I was quite a young associate director, very young, actually. I'm going into a room with, with maybe somebody who was 30 to 40 years older than me. I had nothing in common, nothing to talk about, because that wasn't the right environment, really. It wasn't the right tribe, or maybe I wasn't long enough in the tooth. But now it's very different if I'm going to a networking meeting. I'm trying to get those commonalities with people. I'll maybe go onto LinkedIn beforehand to see right who's at this uh, at this event, and I suppose it's, it's slightly different now because of my own business, and I want to get you know my my name out there. Um, funny enough, uh, I had a guest lecturer in today in university helping me in one of the lectures, and he's going, you know, what is the most important subject for you to talk to somebody about? And it's them. Yeah. They are the most important thing you should be talking to them about because most people are interested in, in me, me. You know, so I want to be asking, if me and you, Dante, were in a networking meeting, I want to know about you. I want you to talk. I want, you know, because that's what people love talking about themselves. So that's how you get the network around you. You know, get that, understand what your stakeholders are all about, what they want, how can you help them, and have a bit of humor in between. Exactly. And that getting someone to open up requires trust there's no two ways about it in order to have trust you need to be trustworthy oh absolutely uh, especially at speed you know and to have those other commonalities as well that can open up a conversation yeah. talk about their how but where are you going on holiday this year what books you like reading you know how's the family these are the things that you know to gain the trust you just don't want to go straight in hard-hitting questions about business because i build i build no commonality at all yeah. And even in a networking event, most people don't want to be talking about work there. No. They want to get away from it all, but have uh, like-minded people. And as you say, even in a finance gathering, it's all about you're in a group with people with the same interests, same background, but you can talk about different things like... But it's finding know. those groups. It's finding those groups of like-minded people is important. Totally. You need to do and, a bit of work to find out where they are and where they exist and are they in the, who are the gatekeepers in your organization or in your industry? How can you get to know them well? How do you build trust with them? The good old saying about networking, you know, it's the whole thing, but it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
you know, like good old saying, yeah. I don't even think it's true. So I tell the students or my clients, my career coaching clients, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's but who knows you. Yeah, completely. And that's where LinkedIn actually that's where LinkedIn comes in mm -hmm. very handy too, you know. Yeah. Well you communicate your your values, your fit your your thoughts, your ideas your opinions and you see what resonates and uh, you know it's all about those eyeballs yeah. what eyeballs do you want to see in your content how do you come across to other people how do you seem as a credible trustworthy person even online yeah also important to think about and it's funny the more you post your ideas the more you feel compelled to live by them mm -hmm. because the more i post about those ideas and concepts the more pressure i put on myself and that's a good thing by the way to actually uphold myself to my ideals yeah and, absolutely yeah and then talking about networking and career advice in general what's the best piece of career advice you've received from a say manager or mentor Okay, the first piece of general advice I would give first before I then answer mm. that question or the first observation, which was crucial to me, game changer. You're the average of the five people you hang about with the most. Mm. Mm. Hugely important thing I read or heard somewhere. I can't even remember who that was. But the, the most crucial thing, I'll actually tell you who it was. I met, I met an accountant about six years ago. He's a very, very dear friend of mine now. I didn't know who he was six years ago. Turns out we live about five to six miles away from each other. He has helped me out with lots of things now. I've helped him out with lots of things. And we were actually having a cup of coffee. One of the first sort of times we properly met, we were having conversations. And we met at a local hotel, having a cup of coffee. And he turned around to me and said, James, there's something about you. Go and make, go and let people find out about you. You need to, to show yourself mm -hmm. that whole thing about, it's about who knows you. Yeah. So I ran a networking event myself. So I used to do coffee shop networking events before COVID. Small 20, 30 people hired up, not even hired out a coffee shop, asked the coffee shop, whenever you close up, you know, you can sell a few more cups of coffee here if you let me in for free. Mm. And, and it was his idea for all that. You know what I mean? And, and if it wasn't for that bit of advice or that challenge, Mm -hmm. that James there's something about you you need to go and let more people know who you are I don't think I would even be sitting in here having my own business the way it is or having the exposure I've had previously or doing a podcast with you I could still be in my shell yeah and accountants are notorious introverts you know that's the stereotype mm -hmm. I remember one accountant one of the senior accountants in my second job as a trainee, he said, uh, how can you tell the extrovert accountant? You've probably heard this before. He's the one staring at your shoes when he's talking to you. So. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, there's there's two different other types. And I can't remember what's the proper one. There's an omnivert and an omnivert. I can't remember which is which. But essentially what it is, and this is probably me, you're an extrovert in certain circumstances and you're an introvert in other circumstances. So for me, if I know people, I'm a massive extrovert. I'll have a crack and I'll have a laugh and I'll say whatever I say. Initially, though, if I go into a room, maybe even in a networking event, and I go into a room and I'm not familiar with some people, I will be very quiet for the first 10 to 15 minutes. And then I start to come out of my shell. So it depends sometimes what it is. Mm. So I'm a wee bit of both. Maybe it's that personality split with me. Maybe that's what it comes down to. That makes sense. And there's always an element of duality to everyone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's what makes us interesting. Oh, we would be very boring if we're all saying. <laughs> yeah, totally. Very bloody boring. I hear you. And then uh, what would you think, what do you think is the most important personality trait for success in your field of work? Oh, 
again, I would say resilience, but I've said that one. <laughs> awareness, self-awareness. Mm. Again, it's something I would say the year 2015 changed me a lot with different things. And things happened in, in personally for me. And it was a breakthrough. It was a break that 18 months until mid-2016. Huge breakthroughs for me. And the, the big thing was awareness. Now, I'm maybe going to steal your thunder here because one book recommendation is a book actually by a Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello, and it's mm-hmm. called Awareness. It's absolutely brilliant. And he takes from different cultural traditions. Traditions. He takes from some religious traditions. It's not a religious book. It just takes from some ancient wisdom, old wisdom, mm-hmm. thinking about awareness. And I remember reading it in 2016, and it just changed things completely. So that's one thing I would think about. You know, what one, if you want success, is to be self-aware of what's actually going inside you or what's what's happening with you. Because unless you, if you can't recognize that, it's the good old definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different. Mm. Unless you are, if you're aware, you could at least change things. So something's not happening quite right with career and you're aware of what's happening even with your mentality, change it slightly or ask somebody. And that's the big thing. And I find that even for men, very difficult sometimes for fellas to ask for help. Ask for help. Like, like that old partner said to me, no such thing as a stupid question. At least if you're self-aware, it gives you more of a, a chance to realise what that question may be. Yeah. I think pride ho- holds a lot of people back, but especially men, because they're afraid to look weak. Ego does. Yeah. And I think ego is a massive thing at the moment. Yeah. Good, bad, and, uh, and indifferent. You know what I mean? There's certain good bits of ego. There's certain really destructive pieces of ego. Maybe, uh, can I even say this? Social media is awash with ego, oh, yeah. and maybe not even in a good way. That's maybe harking back to the old cut and thrust and ruthless nature of our profession. Well, that doesn't necessarily work anymore. Yeah, you well, know. The, mm, yeah. Sorry. So, so it is going back to that helping each other. Yeah, community over individuality. I think. And communication. Yeah, I mean, you should protect to an extent your own rights, but at the same time. I think the world is big enough that if one community doesn't work, you can always find another that does fit. Or even, better yet, create your own community. And that's actually what I want to do with my career programme, is I want to develop my career programme. There's a lot of self-awareness in there too. There's a lot of self-inquiry. I'm veering away from technical skills in it. It is about you and how do you get visible and and how you develop. There's a lot of personal development within my career coaching. Mm. But it is having that awareness of, of doing something about it. Hugely, hugely important and to help others. So what I really, what I would like to do, Dante, is something outside of CPD yeah. to build a community of like-minded people that can, that can help each other. It's the good old saying, what is the rising tide lifts all boats? Yeah. That's that's what I would like to do. Wonderful. And I'm sure you'll do it. James. Hope so. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt I will do it. I'm, I am doing it. So You are. You are. And... I try and avoid massaging your ego, but seeing all the people you've helped when you share your successes on LinkedIn is super impressive. And I can see you already have that community through the contribution you've given to the profession and also to people. So uh, let's go back to that first couple of questions regarding, you know, from from pure financial to, to training. Mm-hmm. And right back to that thing about, about job satisfaction. Someone who comes to me and has failed their finals 
for argument's sake, Chartered Accounts Ireland or a final paper for ACCA or CMA or whatever, or CPA. They come to me and go, James, I failed this three times. Can you help? And you've helped. And because maybe of something I've said or a paper I've marked or I've basically given them a kick in the back end and they've passed that final exam and they're now, they've now got a world-class professional qualification that could potentially change their life. That's job satisfaction for me. And saying some of those recommendations, and I, yes, I've asked them, but I haven't told them what to say. And to say I couldn't, I couldn't have done it without them. Mm. Like, that's brilliant. Like it really does mean more sometimes than than we bonus, so, you know, bonus with money or this brilliant. Mm. Because I'll, I'll go back to my father here in, in terms of an example, is that legacy is quite important. And if I quit my role, my job tonight, I know that I've helped 350 people around the world, at least 350 people around the world. Yeah, That's not a bad legacy. Still, and still more to come, I'm sure. Still, Obviously still more to come, but yeah. that's where a lot of my satisfaction comes. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to see people doing well. Why? Because I've been there, done it, worn the T-shirt. You know yourself, Dante. I know the emotional turmoil going through these exams and, and trying to grow your career and going, well, what next? What do I do now? And, and all that. So to have someone who's lived through it, that's really what I want to be, that sounding board, because I've been there. Yeah, thanks, James. Well, wonderful interview. And uh, really thank you so it. much for your time. Um, just to wrap up, really, some personal questions. What do you like to do in your spare time, James? <laughs> and you, <laughs> you know what's coming next, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love my travel. And I've got two bucket list goals regarding travel. Mm-hmm. One of them is to visit all eight wonders of the world, which is the new wonders of the world. Seven new wonders of the world and the original ancient wonder of the world. Mm. I'm very, very lucky I've been to six of those. Mm. Hopefully, in the next couple of years, I'll get all the, the final two done. Mm. And then at some stage, I would like to, like to visit all 20 or sorry, all 44 countries in Europe. Wow. And I've done about 21, 20, I've done about half. Mm. So I like to, I, I would, I would like to hit those two. So travel has always been my thing. The most wonderful country in the world. I happen to live in it. Yeah. You know, Ireland on a good day, weather-wise, Ireland is stunningly beautiful. Mm. But those days are very, very rare. <laughs> never rains for about 300 days a year. Yeah. So I'm very, very lucky. I'm very lucky to live in a very beautiful part of Ireland as well. So mm. I even love traveling locally. So that's that's my main personal, personal hobbies. Yeah, love it. Yeah, it opens your perspective. It gets you to think in different ways. Skyscanner was the best thing ever invented. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know what Skyscanner is, skyscanner.net, and it searches the web for all the cheap flights. It's brilliant. <laughs> Damn it. Maybe Skyscanner, if you're listening, will get James's details and you can send him a commission. <laughs> a free flight, a couple of free flights. That'll do well. <laughs> brilliant. And then finally, what are your top three movies and why? <sighs> This isn't a great question because if you ask, you name the great film and I haven't watched it, right? Uh, okay. Oh, weird. I'll tell you my joint top favourite movies. Yeah. Joint two. Number one is there's a, an Irish film called Darby O'Gill and the Little People, right? My mum's favourite. Oh, no way. Yes, yes. <laughs> Darby O'Gill and the Little People, for again, listeners who have never seen this. Was yeah. one of Sean Connery's first films ever. Yeah. And it's about a fiddly day, stereotypical Irish village, <laughs> and all the shenanigans that Darby O'Gill gets up to with the leprechauns. Yeah. Yeah. So that transports me right back to being a six and seven year old boy. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the stereotypical St. Patrick's Day for me <laughs> was 
You go out with my father to our garden to pick the shamrock. We put our shamrock on. You go to mass. You come back from mass. You watch Darby O'Gill. You eat a bowl of stew. And I live seven miles away from St. Patrick's grave. And you go to the parade. So that brings back all those memories of all that. So that's the number one. (laughs) And my second, you you couldn't get anything any more different. My second joint favorite film is Saw. Mm, Wow. (laughs) From the Disney (laughs) to horror. (laughs) Saw, whenever I first seen it in the cinema, I thought it was 90% rubbish. And I'm saying nothing else apart from the twist in the end. And me and my best mate just looked at each other and I think we were going to be carried out of the cinema because both of us let her scream, no way! So yeah, Darby O'Gill and the people and Saw. Well, so there's nothing, sorry, there's nothing philosophical in any of that. <laughs> but again, it comes back to duality, right? Absolutely. So, there we go, the light and yeah, the dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and none of us are pure anything. You know, we have we have depth, and that's what makes us interesting. We've all got our own characters, indeed. Well, I have to say thank you. James, this has exceeded my already high expectations. So thank you very much. My pleasure. <laughs> and that's not a lie. <laughs> my, pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks. And for our listeners' benefit, I will attach your contact details in the show notes, etc. Primarily LinkedIn. Always yeah. primarily LinkedIn. Thank you. Brilliant. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is your host, Dante Healy, with my very special guest, James Perry. Thank you. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations. 